Welcome to the Love Positivism podcast. I'm Shireen Oberg and I'm a yoga teacher and author devoted to the path of healing and heart-based living. And I want to help you to step into what you truly are and to your highest potential. On this podcast, I share with you tools and insights to help you move ever forward on your spiritual and healing path. With guests from all over the world, from different wisdom traditions, I wish to create a web of loving energy that permeates the whole world to create more love and peace. You can connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube for more guidance and love. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Shireen. How are you? I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you here. I'm really excited to talk to you today. And I would love for you to share any practice that you have right now that you find nourishing or grounding and uh, that you want to share with the, me and the listeners. So I feel like the most grounding and nourishing practices that I have are the practice of yoga nidra which is the practice of uh, sleep with a slight trace of awareness. Um, I also have a chanting practice that I find very nourishing, uh, meditation, and walks in nature. Those are, that, those are my go-to grounding practices. Mm, that is so beautiful. And it sounds a lot like my own practices, which are really everything that has to do with connecting back to like a, a deeper part of of oneself and also to the body and breath and the voice i feel like all those together and then nature of course which is us as well we're also nature it's really beautiful thank you for sharing that of course yeah and i'm very excited to talk to you today and uh, maybe you want to start by uh, just telling a little bit about yourself to the listeners if they haven't seen or or listened to anything from you before um yeah just share whatever you feel called to sharing right now that's a good question you know it's like the eternal question who am i right it's so far beyond all of the identities and uh, the jobs and the things that we think we are. So I always find that um, a curious question. What I would say is who I am at the moment, which is ever evolving, uh, is an author. I have a book called Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity um, that came out almost a year ago uh, with Shambhala uh, Publishing. I'm in the midst of writing another book uh, for Shambhala that's going to come out in 2023. Um, I love spiritual practices. I've been a student of yoga, tantra, Sri Vidya uh, for over 20 years. Uh, I consider myself to be a forever student. Um, I'm a lover of nature, specifically the moon, the sun, the ocean, <laughs> and the, the earth herself. Um, I'm a stepmother. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. Um, 
I'm a seeker. And so there's so many other things that I could tell you about identities or things that I, I like to do. Um, but I feel like right now that's what I'm resonating with is, is really being uh, a creative being, a spiritual being, um, and someone who is really just practicing allowing nature to hold and nourish me in all of her ways and still be able to uh, give back to, to the mother. Mm, that was so beautiful um, and so uh, healing in so many ways to listen to that and to uh, understand how many aspects of us that are and that that is always evolving. So how we define ourselves is it's just another layer. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, my first question and curiosity is how you came onto this path that you've been on for 20 years, which is a long time. Uh, how, how did that evolve for you? Yeah, it's, um, it's a story I've told before. Um, and it really happened in a spontaneous moment without me expecting it. Um, I was sitting on a balcony in South Africa uh, in a little area there called Tombos Kloof. And I was watching the sunrise and I had kind of a view also of Table Mountain and it was beautiful, quiet, serene. Um, and before I knew it, there was this peace and silence that came over me. And then I realized that it actually wasn't coming over me. It was emerging from within me. And it felt like time had stood still. And I was not somebody who was meditating or practicing yoga or doing anything like that. Um, and so it was such a profound moment that felt like it lasted for a really long time, but it probably only lasted for a moment that I started to ask and tell people, oh, this is this thing that happened to me. What do you think happened? And, you know, most of the people that I was talking to at the time were looking at me like I had 12 heads until I finally uh, met someone um, who was in the community named Andoni. And he said, oh, I know exactly what happened to you. I need to take you somewhere. And he brought me to a spiritual bookstore um, and he piled up five or six, seven books. And he said, read these. And so I started to read these books, everything from Khalil Gibran to Way of the Peaceful Warrior to Celestine Prophecies um, to Illusions and uh, Harish Johari uh, was one of the books that he gave me the book on, on Tantra. And my mind and my perspective in reading these books in such a short period of time was completely turned on its head. And reading the book by Harsh Johari, I led myself through one of the meditations, one of the practices that was in the book and had a very interesting experience of seeing 
colors and images and things that I had not been aware of before, present to before, or experienced before, or awake to before. Um, And so when I got back to the States, I started to seek out something like meditation. And eventually I was led to yoga. uh, And that was how I began the journey of yoga. And um, once I got my hands on the yoga sutras and realized that yoga was more than just moving the body in these particular postures and that there was a philosophy and a, you know, specific sutras, sutra 136, Vishoka Vajotismati, that talks about the light within all of us that is eternal and beyond all sorrow. And that part of our practice is to bring us to a place where we can taste that light. That is, I think, one of the things that propelled me into the seeking of understanding more. And so that's how I'm still on this path 20 years later. That's a beautiful story. And it sounds like it was um, like the path unfolds the way it should when, and it comes to us when we, uh, when we need it. And when it's time, it feels like, like it evolved. Um, And I think that also sometimes um, when getting into a certain path, it can, sometimes be mind-based and we want to like do it in a way that we do everything else in life in this life and in this society but uh, how has because I'm thinking that for for my own uh, experience um, how things have evolved has not always it's not like a straight line it really is a cyclical uh, evolution that that also has its ups and downs. I'm wondering what uh, if if you've had that. How how have that manifested, and how have you constantly come back to your practice, or has that has it been something constant for you in your path? Yeah, I mean, yes, um, I agree that healing and awakening is not uh, a linear path, even though we like to think that there are steps to get there. Um, What I would say is my practice has been consistent since I first stepped on the yoga mat. The way that I've practiced has changed. My awareness of what was needed has changed. Um, I have had ups and downs in my life from everything from, you know, a death of a parent to closing a business, to a divorce. And the beautiful thing has been that my yoga practice, my spiritual practice has been the foundation and the grounding that has always held me. So what I would say is it's given me a a good perspective to be able to see the ups and downs and to experience the ups and downs and to experience deep grief, to experience letting go, to experience the death of an identity, right? Um, And to allow myself to really be in the suffering if that is what's required at the moment. 
and to not resist what's happening um, and to know that I have my practice to lean on. Mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And that is something that I think is a misconception that when you start working with this, uh, it's everything is much easier and, and things, uh, I mean, the practice is always to um, start observing more and to becoming aware of ourselves and, and the, everything that we experience. How can we, if we take in Vedanta, like how can we start uh, observing and seeing this, um, this the, the wholeness that we're part of and that is eternal but at the same time we're having this non-eternal experience but we're still like drawn into it and constantly like moving forward and backward in that but I love the uh, that sense that you got when you started feeling called to something that that uh, state of of like presence and being um, which is something that we can uh, practice to achieve and but also at the same time sometimes we can do so much but we we don't really fully grasp what that that state can feel like so I think that's beautiful how you explain that and also uh, so your your work has been around yoga nidra and uh, it's for me personally, yoga nidra. Um, I can't remember where I did it the first time. If it was here in or in Sweden or it was in Asia, but it was really. I'm a person that is more like a airy vata type, so getting down to that state where everything slows down the the nervous system and and the senses that relaxation. It had, I think it hadn't happened really until I really did yoga nidra because uh, maybe I didn't get into that deep relaxation in Shavasana, for example. So maybe so, some people don't know what yoga nidra is. And I mean, your book is so around this beautiful practice. Maybe you want to share how you got into yoga nidra and what it is, maybe. Well, I, I was very fortunate because um, when I began to practice Hatha yoga, uh, the teacher who I was studying with uh, within the first, like maybe one or two classes that I took with him, he introduced us to the practice of deep relaxation, yoga nidra. And I had a very profound experience in that class, which was really just that I experienced the part of myself that was always at rest. I didn't have the words for it. What I knew at the time was like, whoa, what just happened to me? Something happened. I feel rested. I feel blissful. I feel at peace. But I also know that something profound happened, not too dissimilar to what had happened, you know, 10 years prior on the balcony in South Africa is that I felt that same kind of vibration, that same kind of resonance. And at the time he hadn't really called the practice yoga nidra. It was really just something that he was teaching at the end of every asana class. And then when I started to study yoga, um, 
this was considered part of the yoga practice. So it was basically like, yes, we end the class with Shavasana, but we're not just letting people kind of hang out in Shavasana. We're guiding them to a restful place. So I think I feel really fortunate that I was able to learn uh, the practice of yoga nidra and deep relaxation and deep rest as a part of how yoga is practiced and how a yoga class is taught. Um, and so the more that I started to understand that this was actually a, a separate and unique practice in itself, I started to explore. And I found uh, teachers like Swami Veda Bharati um, just prior to when he uh, went into a place of silence. And as I started to learn more, what I learned was that what we're really, what we're calling yoga nidra is actually a technique that leads you to the state of yoga nidra. And the state of yoga nidra is said to be this place that is peace beyond words. It's said to be the fourth state, the other three states being waking, dreaming, and deep sleep. And that there is this part of us that is ever present and awake through all of the states of consciousness and through all of the transitions in between. And that is the place that we can rest in. Um, and it's not a place where, as we talked about before, this linear, linear idea of practice, like if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to arrive at this place. Yoga Nidra as a state of consciousness arrives by grace. So everything that we're doing in this practice that's called yoga nidra is just to prepare to receive that grace. And how we prepare in the practice of yoga nidra is we do many things. We do diaphragmatic breathing to be able to bring ourselves into rest and digest. We may do a body scan to scan through the body and notice where we're holding tension and where we're holding constriction in both the body and the mind. Um, there's so many different techniques that are available to bring us into deep relaxation. And then at some point, we just may become so relaxed that we become aware of prana. And prana is that vital life force that rides on our breath. Breath is the vehicle, one of the vehicles for, for prana. And we may just become relaxed enough and awake enough in this place where perhaps our body has fallen asleep and our mind has fallen asleep, but that part of us that has stayed awake and aware can be guided by prana back to its source. And that's when we have a moment of feeling into maybe a little bit of bliss, a little bit of peace and a little bit of deep rest. And no matter what the experience is of uh, practicing deep relaxation or yoga nidra, we definitely come back most of the time very rested and feeling as though we might have just had a two-hour nap or a three-hour nap. And so that's why so many people love to practice yoga nidra and deep relaxation, especially if they suffer from insomnia or if they feel like they need some extra rejuvenation. Um, and if it's done as a daily practice, um, it can be something that's really life-changing for people. I love that. 
explanation and and how you explain the practice or the state that that we get into in this conscious rest it's uh, i also love that you brought up that it's like a fourth fourth state that it's we have this awake state we have the dream state where we're still having these different attachment to different concepts of the world and then the deep state when we're supposed to be in this oneness with everything that we're like completely not aware like in this form and, and space that we're in and then in in this conscious it's it's very ethereal and it's really maybe everyone experiences it so differently and it's really easy to fall asleep in the practice but uh, we're not supposed to like really fall asleep but it's really I think it it brings out that tiredness uh, if we really have it and we we haven't practiced uh, in in the uh, because I I took part of uh, I'm trained in in uh, Shivananda classical hatha um, but we also have uh, uh, we ha we have a different branch of uh, classical hatha which the yoga nidra is is always there in the end of the um, it's not Shivananda it's um, uh, Satyananda in, at least in Sweden this practice is and uh, I really enjoyed that that it's even if it's a very short time of the class it still brings you there and the more you practice you can get into it maybe more like you said with grace and and that it really becomes a part of of how you because I feel, I feel like exactly what you said also that we think that yoga is is these uh, positions and movement but it's it's always a balance between these two and sometimes when we go to a class and we get to rest for only five minutes in the end it's like it it's it becomes like an imbalance especially if we don't get that really deep rest that we need for the body to integrate the movement and everything else that we've done uh, so I really appreciate that you're sharing this. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there may be um, a case to reframe how we teach asana classes mm. and to incorporate more rest, either as intervals. It's one of the things that I like about the Shivananda practice is that there is rest incorporated in the practice, right? It's like you do a few poses and then you rest into asana and then you come back and you do some, some more poses. It, it allows you to integrate. And I think a lot of times we're just afraid to rest. We have a resistance to resting. And as teachers, sometimes we even may have a resistance to teaching rest because we know inherently maybe within ourselves that we have a resistance to resting. And then we also see in our students sometimes the resistance. And so I think that um, bringing this into your classes more, not just as, oh, this is the last five minutes before the other class is pounding on the door to get in, but this is really a way to bring 
people to a place where they have the possibility to remember the true self. And the true self, as I understand it, has more of a chance of emerging in stillness and emerging in a place of silence and peace than it might if you're doing a bunch of chaturangas. So it's not to say anything's wrong with doing your chaturangas, but to really allow yourself to maybe spend the last 20 minutes of class in rest, in yoga nidra practice, if you are trained to teach yoga nidra. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And that's what we see in, in the more, like you said, the, in the classical uh, traditions um, it's more incorporated and it's a part of the whole practice it's like life and nature everything is not always going upwards and it's not always light and it's we need to have that balance in the practice to remind ourselves of that true nature that we are which is part of everything else nothing is always uh, everything is changing but there's also this spiral and this these ups and downs and um, to, to appreciate rest because we do live in a society where I can see that clearly in, this, in the place that I'm right now that there is resistance to, and, and almost like looking down on taking breaks and to be just be present with yourself because it, it doesn't seem to be efficient or effective but it's actually very efficient and effective to rest because otherwise you're just burning yourself out. And, and if we can look at nature and to start to like impersonate nature, because we are nature, we just forgot, we have forgotten that, I think, when we start separating. And, and in, in the end, it's so important that we start to re- construct uh, to create a change in society we have to reconstruct what, what it means for ourselves to be uh, alive and to um, really come back because we see that in society uh, our health is is uh, is getting worse because we're doing more and more and more and I think now especially we have had um, it's like I just remember how it was like 15, 20 years ago, uh, such a difference between then and now how we live. Um, and I think that these practices have really come up for a reason now uh, in our consciousness. You sharing this book and your knowledge and other teachers sharing more about uh, these ancient practices that we really need right now because we need to have it maybe in another lifetime it it can come naturally and we just get into that but not we need this reminder and this uh, more like like you said like this constant um, uh, routine to get back to that and to allow ourselves because it's a practice of self-love it's a practice of um understanding that we're much more than what we do all the time and what we are producing and what we're creating it's more how can we more be so I really love that and something that you also shared um, 
about your chanting practice. I really would love to hear how that started because for me, the chanting and the bhakti part of yoga, the devotional part, um, I really missed that for a lot of years of my own practice. And it's something that evolved and something that maybe a lot of practitioners of yoga um, are not taking part of, but it, it's also something that can really um, awaken something in us. How did, your, how did that practice start for you? Hmm. Well, I think I want to pull on a thread of something that you just shared first, yeah. um, which is really that, you know, society is set up to make you forget. Society is, is set up to make you forget and to distract you, right? So anytime that our attention and our awareness is pulled to the external, we forget about our inner world and our true self is in the inner world. So all of these practices, whether they be yoga nidra, whether they be planting a garden, which is a beautiful practice so that you can actually up close every day, maybe twice a day, observe nature and observe the dying and the recreation and the places in between and the patience that has to be cultivated while you're waiting for the seed to grow or you knowing that something is dying and yet it's going to be reborn. And so, you know, you, you made mention of this fact that we are nature. And my belief is that if we are not connected to nature in some way, because nature is the greatest teacher, that we don't get to see that reflection. We don't actually get to have that time, um, as you said, to impersonate nature, right? And so, these practices, whether they be resting, walking in nature with your garden, uh, being in relationship to another person, observing the cycles and the transitions of your own life, or even chanting, um, that's what they're there for. You know, so you mentioned the word bhakti, and the word bhakti uh, refers to the yoga of devotion. And so the question that I would ask people is, what is it that you're devoted to? What is it that you're devoted to? Because if you're devoted to your iPhone or your job or your title, that's how your life is going to show up. What we bring our attention to amplifies. What we focus on, what we meditate on, we become one with. So the question is, what is it that you're meditating upon, even if you're not consciously meditating on it? Because we're setting intentions all the time. Our habits are intentions. And so turning our habits to something that brings us back to a remembrance of who we are, a remembrance of our true nature, of our power, of our light, of our uniqueness, I think is a really good practice, even if it's something that we only do for one or two or three minutes a day. And so how I got into chanting was really um, 
over 20 something years ago, I was walking, I was at a festival, uh, like a street fair in San Diego. And I was walking with my friends and all of a sudden I heard a, this music in the background and the music was Sri Ram, Jay Ram, Jay Jay Ram being sung. And I had never heard anything like that before. So I just started walking towards where I was hearing this coming from. And I found myself in the midst of maybe 20 or 30 people. And who I came to know later was the uh, singer Jai Yutal, who was singing and call and response. And so I just started joining into the call and response and the vibration that I felt from this music and from the chanting was again, another remembrance of that peace and bliss as a different kind of vibration. Um, and so at the time I did everything I could to find out where I could find Jai Utal again, uh, because I didn't even know the word Kirtan that had never even entered my consciousness. And um, luckily I lived in Los Angeles at the time. And so there was a studio that was bringing in Jai Utal and bringing in Krishna Das. So I got to do these workshops with them with like 20 or 30 people at the time um, and began listening to different music and then eventually learning uh, different Sanskrit chants um, in my lineage. And that became a part of my daily practice. We have morning prayers, we have evening prayers. Um, and it's something that I love to do. And then I decided that I wanted to learn how to play the harmonium. And so I connected with one of my favorite uh, devotional singers. Her name is Sheila Bringy. And at the time she lived near me. And so there were a group of, uh, a few of us that wanted to learn how to play harmonium and to learn how to chant properly. And so we basically had classes once a week with Sheila for a long time. And that's how my chanting practice really developed. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's something like I want to go on stage and chant. It's my personal practice. It's my, it's part of my personal practice and um, it's something that I hold really, really dear. That's beautiful. And it's really, I always recommend like kirtans and it really is a way of meditation that is so different than um, just being in stillness. And especially if we have so much like in our minds and we're not connecting to our hearts and this practice is um and and singing together with others but also singing for yourself like you said i had a i had a long time where i was yeah with with the lineage uh chanting every evening and i could wake up in the night and hearing the chants and wake up in the morning and they were there and yeah i still i still have that i can do something and then it comes and it's like a reminder and the body like yeah gets that that feeling of yeah just peace and we forget that the vo voice is such a important tool more than just using words that we've like what what are we what vibration are we creating and and uh, since we chant 
in Sanskrit and this uh, vibration is very uh, unique in a way. But if you look at all the practices that have been throughout like the times when people started to uh, create like devotion, it's usually with sound and with, with some words and um, and then we forgot about that as well. <laughs> so we're barely using our voice for anything else than communicating something that we have in our logical mind. Yeah. And, and there are many other, you know, Sanskrit is a uh, energetic language. Mm. And there are many other energetic languages mm. that have been old and uh, that have been, that are old and ancient mm. and used in many ways to call upon all of the forces of nature, mm. you know? Yeah. So um, it's not just Sanskrit and, and there's many ways to, to chant. Mm, definitely. I see that a tradition that has been indigenous in Sweden, which has been forgotten was uh, the healing women, uh, Völvor. They used to go to each village uh, and um, to heal someone, they would sing. And, and, and it was like confirmational, intentional words and to chant this over and over until you like, yeah, you get in a kind of like a trance state from, from the singing. Uh, mm. So I think that's, yeah, we can see that all over the world that the singing and praying or, and what I love about the bhakti, since we, I mean, in, in the West, we focus so much on the, on the physical practice of yoga, not so much on the other legs, but um, the bhakti is when we feel this deep, like you said, we're like, what are we devoted to? What are we putting our devotion on? Um, the devotion, it doesn't have to be like a separate part of life. It can be in everything that we do or uh, having a clear intention or like giving what we're doing into something um in a way i can, i don't know if i'm explaining explaining it but it's very heart based yeah, you're you're explaining it perfectly because self devotion and devotion uh is really important i talk about it in in my book mm. you know about reframing this idea of discipline which is something that we hear about a lot uh spiritual discipline and that can bring up resistance, right? Mm -hmm. We all have our own uh, relationship to this word discipline, mm -hmm. right? It can lead to perfectionism. It can lead to shame. And so if we can transform that into devotion with a softness and a flow of knowing that it doesn't need to look a certain way and that we each find our own way to be devoted to what it is that we truly want, truly honor, truly love, um, I think our practices can all take a different uh, shape and then they can become part of our daily life, right? It's that mm. everything becomes practice. Mm. The most uh, mundane uh, thing can become practice. And it's reminding me of one of the uh, prayers in uh, Radiant Rest, which I'd love to read because it, mm. it relates exactly to this. And it's called the Householder's Prayer. The altar is in my heart. The sun and the moon are my gurus. 
I trust the earth to support me. Each time I close my eyes, I enter the void. My heart is a portal to my sacred cave. I whisper the names of the divine as I prepare my meals. I notice the flow of my beloved's breath as they fall asleep. And I synchronize my breath to the flow of love. I place a blessing in the pause between the breaths. I hold the power to create a new reality with every thought. I honor silence as a blessing. I explore who I am and who I am not in the mirror of relationship. I question my beliefs with curiosity and courage. I honor my ancestors. I lay down all self-doubt with compassion and forgiveness. I remember the light of my soul as I enter the dream state. I recall the beauty of truth as I transition from sleep to waking. I know the vibration of truth. I remember that nothing is mundane. I honor the power of the transition as a portal to transformation. Everything is an offering. My life is a sacred ritual. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that was really beautiful. And yeah, that was very beautiful. Thank you, Tracy. And um, thank you for giving the space for us to have a conversation. Yeah. And I'm so happy and, and very blessed to have you here and for you to share. And just to conclude, what is um in 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 your book what is the offering that that people are receiving from beside these beautiful um remembrance and this uh, magic that you just shared you know the offering is for you to walk through a portal where you can begin to establish, cultivate, renew a relationship with the divine, both in you and outside of you, and feeling where those two connect and how they connect. And doing that through the power of deep rest, through the relationship with Yoga Nidra, the goddess, the relationship with earth, and I feel like each one of these chapters in the book and the practices in the book are a portal to creating and cultivating a relationship with deeper self and true knowing. Mm. That's amazing. And, uh, and in, in the, um, you have also recorded uh, Yoga Nidra guidance as well, right? Yeah, so the, yeah. the book actually comes with, um, there's you can get the hard copy of the book, which um, has links to all the practices. So you mm. can just listen to the practices. And then the audio book also comes with um, links to the practices. Mm. So yeah, all the practices, the Yoga Nidra practices, there's six of them. Um, they're all on audio. Mm. 
I can't wait to do them. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And is there anything else that you're doing now that that people can connect with you about or uh, any any other? Uh, I know you told me you're you're writing your next book so that's going to be exciting to take part of and anything else right now um you know if people are interested in radiant rest the book they can go to radiantrest.com and they can find out more about the book about the book club and also about my podcast where i interview people about dreaming and resting and mm. sleep um and if you're interested in practicing with me, um, I have a community at empoweredlifecircle.com and we have practices and Dharma talks and yoga nidras that we do monthly. So mm. those are the things that uh, might be interesting for folks. Yeah, definitely check that out. And I will put all of your links in the show notes as well. And I want to thank you so much. Uh, it was amazing talking to you. Uh, I have a million other questions, but I'm not going to keep you <laughs> here all day. But thank you so much. I really appreciate you, your work, uh, everything, your presence. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Shireen. It's been an honor to be here with you. Thank you for creating a space for people to share um, and for you to also share your light. I appreciate you. <laughs>